I am Pastor Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Rock Vineyard. And uh, hey, I just want to like commend those who were in on that uh, because it takes a lot to get things past me here. I didn't know what was going on this morning. Uh, so uh, kudos to all who were involved. I appreciate it so very much. Uh, and yeah, it's just uh, really, really humbling uh, to, to be able to, to be a pastor at this church. So thank you so much. And like I said earlier, you're used to Pastor Jacob doing our welcome announcements and takes me a minute to uh, remember how to do that. And I did forget one thing. I did, actually. I was sitting there thinking about it. Uh, part of Trunk or Treat uh, is also that uh, we're, we're asking you all to, to bring in candy. So we have a big uh, bucket out there uh, for you all to just drop off candy and, and help us in that way. Because maybe you can't bring a trunk. Maybe you're unavailable that day. But you can, you can help uh, by filling that bucket full of candy out there. So, so as you go shopping this week, please help us out in that capacity. I'll pray for us, and then we are going to transition into something very, very different. <laughs> okay, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can come, that we can gather. Uh, I pray that you would just meet us in this place, no matter, our, no matter our history with you, our history with church, regardless of, of where we're at with our faith this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless our time together that we would hear of your goodness as, as we go through uh, our, our, our text today, as we go through the scripture today. Father, I pray that much would be made of King Jesus. I pray that you would fix our focus on him this morning. I pray your spirit would be moving in this place. If, it, if, if, if maybe we still kind of feel weird being here, maybe we still kind of feel a little off this morning, Father, I pray through your goodness that your spirit would just comfort us, would be with us, would open up our hearts and minds to you. I thank you so much once more. Thank you for this church. We bless you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I do have a question for you. I, I got a question for you. I'm curious about something. If you live here in the city, if you live here in Louisville, quick show of hands, who received an invitation to a Revelation seminar this week? Anybody? Anybody? Come on. I, I know it was, just, it was more than just a couple of us. I, 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 I got a lot of texts this week about it, and some people thought that we as a church sent it out to people because we are in a sermon series through the book of Revelation right now. And we actually had someone like, hey, I know I missed church last week. Why did you send me a mailer? And I was like, that wasn't us. I promise it wasn't us, okay? But it is, it is interesting. Uh, I bring that up because Christians and non-Christians alike are, are very intrigued by end times sort of things. So again, I, I don't know what ministry that was through or anything like that. I just thought it was fascinating. But uh, something that we are working to do here is dismantle the ominous nature that kind of comes with the book of Revelation. And so we've been in this, this, this week is five weeks in Revelation now. So we've been trying to kind of get through some maybe, I guess what I would call some esoteric nonsense that maybe comes with Revelation uh, that it is a scary book, but it is for something terrible, you know, in, in these things. When really, in these weeks we've been going through Revelation together, starting back in chapter 1, and, and we're starting in chapter 8 today, as we've been working through this, 
what I keep coming back to is that this letter is not big and scary. It is, it is not meant to, to install fear in you or to scare you out of hell and into heaven or, or anything like that. But the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is for our encouragement. It is for our hope, and it is to point us to King Jesus. So last week, in case you missed it, you missed the doozy. For those who are here, you know what I'm talking about. We talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and it was like so fitting to be October and to get into that. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, you have the, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse. We talked about what these symbolize, how there's the Antichrist, there is war, there's famine, there's disease and death. But beyond that, what I hope you really paid attention to, which uh, I'll give it to you, that it's, it's not as interesting as those, okay? But, but what, I, what I hoped to anchor last weekend was a question, and the question comes at the end of chapter 6, okay? Uh, John, the, the writer, he talks about the Antichrist. He talks about war. He talks about famine and disease and death. Chapter 6 ends with an important question. Who will stand against this? Because this is terrifying stuff. This is scary stuff. So while a very bleak picture, Jesus, words in red, Jesus says that his people will stand against it, that his church will stand against these catastrophes. They will stand against this persecution. So whatever you think is happening in the world right now, we take Jesus at his word. We take him at his word. Do not be alarmed do not be an alarmist for Jesus. Do not be driven by fear of the end times, but take courage because Jesus promises that his people, his church, will stand against all of this. Now, my encouragement to you uh, alongside that is, hey, church, listen, just steer clear of the alarmists in your life. Just steer clear of them and stay the course with Jesus. Now, I haven't done this to this point, laid out the sermon title for us, but it's, it's an important statement that I want to revisit throughout the message. Uh, but the sermon title for today is, What You Look For, You Will Find. What you look for, you will find. We'll come back to that in just a bit. Uh, again, I've enjoyed our time through Revelation, but as I do every week, I remind you of the one statement that guides our time together. No matter your experience with the book of Revelation, or how you were given the book of Revelation, this statement, do not fear tomorrow, tomorrow is already won. What if we actually approach the book of Revelation and that is the first thing that came to mind? Not the spooky stuff, not the mythical four horsemen, you know, what they represent, not the trumpets, not the flying scorpions, but what if we thought of Revelation and we thought, oh, I don't need to fear. Tomorrow is already won. That is what we're trying to do, at least, through this series because this isn't about fear and worry. It's not about anxiety. But revelation should inspire that hope. It should encourage your faith. And it should help you fix your focus on King Jesus. Now, today is going to get very interesting. But many images that we are going to read through, they hold significant symbolism in the Old Testament. So that's, that's really important. And so this week we do, we move on from the vision of the four horsemen and their destructive nature, uh, and we go into a new apocalyptic window. Remember that phrase way back in week one? You were so young back then, I know. But, but way back in week one, 
We talked about how John's visions come in apocalyptic windows, that Revelation does not build on itself in a linear fashion, but these are different visions he's getting, and he just simply wrote them down. And so we get a new apocalyptic window today. So right now you're thinking, yay, we're getting away from the four horsemen. Well, we'll see what you say after this. Today we'll simply, it'll be a little difficult because we are going to navigate chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 but a word of, of warning, uh, the content for today, it involves God's judgment. Welcome to church. This is, this is going to be a fun one, okay? The word judgment, is, it's a tough one, right? Because the world really despises that word, you know? Like, don't judge me, right? It's, it's a common idiom that we hear often. Uh, sometimes judgment sounds like a synonym for intolerant. But, but please hear this. Please hear this with, with an open mind and open heart. What we are getting into today is just simple church orthodoxy. If you have spent any time around Christians at all, then you have heard about the nature of God. And so, yes, we are going to be discussing God's judgments on, on the world, but I'm going to be, as we walk through it, pulling out that this is God's mercy still in front of us, so that his mercy is still guiding his character and his position toward us is that it's all about mercy. So if you are not familiar with the book of Revelation, uh, think of, you know, when you're like, I don't know, you're four-wheeling or, or something, and you got to like, you know, put it, put it down a lower gear because you got to get through some thick stuff. Okay, that's, that's us today. So go ahead, in your mind, put yourself down in a lower gear. We're going to push through this because we are going to get into the seven trumpets. And if you are unfamiliar, again, these represent God's holy and his righteous judgments. But again, I'm gonna be making the case that these judgments are still absolutely steeped in his mercy, in his grace, and his love. But uh, what you look for, you will find. And so if you want to approach the Bible today, if you wanna approach these passages Maybe from a cynic's position. Maybe from a, a skeptic's position. I mean, what you look for, you will find. But I've got a case to make today that God is still merciful in all of this. So with that airbag now deployed, okay, there it is. Let's, let's start in chapter 8. Uh, I'll be storytelling a great deal of this. Obviously, we're working through four chapters, and I got 26 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, chapter 8. It opens, and John tells us that the seventh and final seal has been opened. So remember, remember that uh, this, this seal had, uh, I'm sorry, this, this, this letter had seven seals, and, and so we went through those first six. It involved the four horsemen. It involved other things. Well, here, chapter 8 opens. If you have your Bible in front of you, you'll see that this seventh seal opens, and silence fo follows. Silence for about half an hour, which is really weird, even for Revelation, because we had six seals before this. Something happened every time, something catastrophic. One of these winged, crazy creatures was yelling at John to come look, right? And now the seventh seal breaks open. Didn't that just feel like an eternity? Like, like you know, and John says it was about half an hour. So I don't know if that's literal or John felt like it was 30 minutes when it was six. I don't know. But it was about half an hour of silence. And here is why that's important. 
it seems that all of heaven, that this wild worship scene that was taking place, it seems that this, this silence take place because there is astonishment at what has been revealed. Total silence as to what is and what's to come because it's been revealed, it's been opened. The seventh seal is broke open, silence follows, and then trumpets followed after that. And these trumpets, again, they represent a coming judgment and offers, God offers repentance to the world. And so God employs the use of these trumpets to get the attention of non-believers. And he's telling them that, he's, he's really showing them that all their idols have failed. Their attempts to save themselves have, have failed. Their rejection of God has failed. And these trumpets are the sounds of mercy and grace to all who hear. Because it's, it is God's way of saying that I love you. I've still not given up on you. I've still not given up on you, that I love you, that Christ died for you, to believe in him. And so when I read this, I want you thinking of the mercy of, of God. Because I, I don't know about your experience with, with church, with faith, with God, or, or anything like that. But God kind of gets a bad rap, and people like Jesus better, right? Like when we think sometimes of God, we think of Old Testament uh, God, and we think he's, he's uh, maybe vindictive. Maybe he's kind of monstrous in his demands. But Oh, I, I like Jesus, though. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, I, I just want to make this case to you as well. L look what Jesus says about God. Jesus says this in John 5, 19. You should see this on the screen. Uh, it says, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus is saying, I represent the heart of the Father, and the heart of God is love. And I know for some of us, maybe that's hard to wrap our minds around, because we've been given a version of God that is nothing but judgmental, nothing but condemning, right? Maybe that God is somehow coming after you. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. I represent the Father's heart. And so these trumpets that blast, they do represent a coming judgment, but these are a final appeal to the lost to, to come to, to Jesus. I love how Pastor Mason King, he put it in this way. He, he connected these trumpets back to Egypt. Uh, are you familiar with the 10 plagues that took place in Egypt? He connected these. And he, and he talks about uh, how Moses, he stood before Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. And God sent warnings in the form of 10 plagues, right? He sent warnings. And so now, now hear this, okay? The skeptic or the cynic will look at those 10 plagues and they will say, yeah, look how cruel God is. Look what he made these people go through. But others of us see these warnings as a grace. God using seemingly impossible measures to draw people to himself. And it reminds me of a recent time when I was in downtown with my family. And, and you know, in downtown, you're always like looking around, right? You keep your head on a swivel, right? It's like, it's like high school football. You're always looking all around because you never know what's coming, okay? Especially at an intersection. And we didn't have a walk symbol, so we all stopped. And one child that will go nameless, she continued. Well, I gave it away. But... She was three, so whatever. 
one of my incredible children continues and even steps out. And in just an instinct, out of instinct, my dad voice kicked in. And if you've never heard, if you think I'm loud, I got downtown Louisville's attention with my volume. And so, and so my dad voice comes on just as she was about to reach out into traffic, out into the road. And through my outcry, she froze and she returned. Upset, but she returned. Now she was upset because she didn't know what was at stake, nor could she fathom the danger she was in. All she knew was that her father raised his voice. And so for me, as, as I look through the God of the Old Testament, as I go through these judgments of God, I see many similarities between people who reject God or reject faith and a toddler in the street. Because I think our pride will often get in our own way. And so instead of humbly returning to our Heavenly Father, I think a lot of us, we stand in the street and we point our finger. How dare you judge me? How dare you speak to me like this? How dare you do this to me? You're so judgmental. How intolerant of you. Now listen, I'm not coming for anybody, I promise. But what I am saying is that we could have God in the flesh come to us and explain the 10 plagues. We could, he, could, he could come and explain everything about these seven kind of scary trumpets. And I don't think we could really fully comprehend it. Like a three-year-old maybe in the street, I don't think we could fully grasp all of it. Actually, God, he did come to us in the flesh, and he did speak to us in very practical ways that are, that are referred to as parables about the kingdom of God, and yet we still struggle to understand and appreciate the significance and meaning and weight of those stories. But what you look for, you will find. What you look for, you will find. If you want a reason to drop faith, you will find them. But if you want a reason to pick up mercy, if you want a reason to see God at work, even when we don't see it, it requires us to exercise our faith. And so church, I'll say this, uh, as I did last week, I'm not gonna have all, all your answers. I'm not gonna do that, and I don't have that. I can't tell you why God does certain things and why it seems like he doesn't do other things. But what I do know about the character of God is that he is merciful. God gives us chance after chance after chance to come back to his love. And here is the one point I have for you. I know usually I have three points for you. I got one point for you today. Is that God shows his mercy through restrained judgment. And as we work through Revelation, you will continue to see this time and time again, that God shows his mercy through restraining his judgment. Now, the imagery of these trumpets is absolutely powerful, okay? The first four trumpets are centered around creation. Read it for yourself. It is wild. It is wild. We have hail and fire mixed with blood. You know, welcome to church. That's, that's crazy. We have a fiery mountain that is then thrown into the sea. We have a great star that falls from the sky and destroys rivers and spring water. And then the fourth involving the sun and the moon no longer shining the same way they did before. So after these four trumpets, we read this 
In Revelation 8, verse 13, you should see it on the screen. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So think about this. Uh, Those on the earth in this vision are those who have persecuted Christians. Now, Christians hear this. Persecution is not getting critiqued online. Uh, Come on, all right? You're not being persecuted in that way, okay? But I'm talking real persecution like we talked about in in week one, okay? When when John wrote this letter to those seven real churches facing real persecution, Okay, just so you know, those left on earth in this vision are people who persecuted Christians. They rejected God. They rejected the good news and they are proud. They are unrepentant. And what is God? What's his response to them? Is he mean and vengeful and evil? No, as as I look at the trumpets, I see more warnings. Get out of the road. What are you doing? Come back to me. What are you doing? Come to my love. It's not too late to turn your life to Christ. God continues to show how much he loves people by restraining his full judgment, which he is fully entitled to do, which is wild. But he doesn't. Why, why, are, we, why are we messing with seven trumpets? Why doesn't he just do one or just do that hard reset? Like, like why doesn't God just do that? It's because God wants you but he's not going to force that on you. He's restraining his judgment because God is not angry, but God is love and and he is just. And we want to worship a God that is love and is just. And this is why we humans, whether you have faith or not today, this is why we humans, that's why we know what love is. That's why we we know what justice is. It's because God is love and he is just. And we believe in love. And we believe in justice. When you hear someone getting away with a crime and you see the victim crying out for justice, it stirs something up inside of you, doesn't it? Right? It does something inside of you. I mean, my goodness, I will be at my son's Little League game and I think there's a discrepancy in how the ump is calling the game and all of a sudden, I want to believe in justice. And that's just a little thing. But like when real injustice happens, we believe, hey, you need to hold people accountable? People need to be held accountable for for what they do wrong. They need this. That that should happen. And so love and justice are natural to you and I because these are attributes of God. We desire love and justice because that's who God is. And at this point, God would have the full capacity to just unleash that full judgment, but he doesn't because he loves them. And he sends these warnings. He blows these trumpets. These angels, I should say, blow these trumpets because he's trying to get people back to him. Now, four trumpets down, and there are still people who hold, who hold tightly to their sin and pride and rebellion and their egos. And so just like in the Old Testament with these 10 plagues, right? People had hard hearts. But then comes the fifth trumpet. And if you are not aware, the fifth trumpet is literally like something out of a horror movie. Uh, a star falls from the sky, and that's never a good thing. That never represents uh, an angel or, or someone, if you will, on God's side, okay? Uh, a fallen star is, is, is no one good, and this fallen 
star is, is given a key. It gets dark. This fallen star is given a key to a bottomless pit where smoke billows out and some evil creatures from this strange underworld of sorts are released upon humanity. They are led by one named Destruction and Destroyer. The description of these creatures is meant to reveal something truly evil, and it is demonic power and suffering are let loose on humanity. And the Bible is specific, and it says that this takes place for five months. Five literal months? I, I don't know. Five, five months is what the Bible says, though. And then we find Revelation 9, 6. It says this, And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And the skeptic says, See, God is evil. He wouldn't let them die. Again, I'm, I'm not going to claim to know everything. But something I do know is this. There is a death worse than physical death. And the offer to repent is still present. I do not believe God is evil, but that he is just. And while he is just, he is still merciful in attempting to turn people and implore people to return to him, to turn away from their rebellion and to trust in his love and yet, there is still a need for a sixth trumpet, meaning some reject this love still. And just to let you know, four angels are released, and they wipe out a third of mankind. Again, God would be just to be done with all of mankind, but he continues to restrain his full judgment and so, uh, by the way, who are these people? Like, come on. Like, are these people who just, like, didn't believe or, like, what's, what's their story? Well, Revelation 9 describes them to you, picking up in verse 20. It says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, since we had a callback to the 10 plagues in Egypt, I think it's only fitting to have another callback here that also kind of gets a bad rap. Because this reminds me of the great flood and how God destroyed the world once before and he saved you know, Noah and his family. Do you remember the story? You know the story somewhat? Okay, yeah, flashes of Sunday school coming back to you. Yeah, we, we know this, right? Now, many point to that story and will say, see, he's evil. God is evil. He wiped out this whole world. That's evil. And when you hear that, at least on, on, on the surface, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to say back to that. I don't know what to say. How should I respond? Well, again, if I know that God is love and that God is just, then how can I make sense of this? And so this is true. Um, but something that always stuck out to me as a child when I heard this story, which is just fascinating that, you know, you shield your kids from certain things and 
culture and media, but hey, here's the flood narrative, five-year-olds. Listen about, listen to this. That's, that's always interesting, but we won't go there, okay? wonder what they're doing to rock kids today. Anyway, but what always stuck out to me as a kid, whether I should have been privy to the story or not, what always stuck out to me was Genesis 6, 5. And I still remember this being six, seven years old and hearing this. You should see it on the screen. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I know you think this is heavy. I don't mean to, to put it in another gear down, but, but if people are going to accuse God of being evil, let's, let's at least try to understand his justice for a second, okay? Regarding the flood, this says that every intention of the thoughts of, his, uh, of, of the hearts of, of people was evil. And so adults, this means more than just property being stolen. This means more than the killing of enemies. I mean, injustices abounded, but it was still darker than I think we can imagine. If we are to believe this verse, then that means that not only were people maybe enslaved and beaten, but talk about families being annihilated. And I know we all may jump on the latest Netflix uh, serial killer documentary, and, and, and like we, we, we watch these things and we think like, wow, it's so twisted and evil. How could someone be like that? When, when I read Genesis 6, 5, that's what I think of, that people were only evil. The innocence of children did not exist. I, I, I think sexual abuse was no doubt rampant. I think women were tossed around like property. If every intention of the thought of man is evil, you would demand justice, right? You would demand that these people be stopped. And again, I won't claim to know everything, but God is consistent and in his justice. And I want to follow a God who stands against such evil. And I simply believe you do too. I think we want a God that is just, that does stand against these terrible, awful things. But what you look for, you will find. Uh, did you know in Genesis 7, 4, that God tells Noah that he will start this rainstorm. He's going to start this whole flood in seven days. But why would, why would God give him that kind of a warning, right? Like he told Noah forever ago, hey, I'm going to flood the earth. And Noah spent all those years building this ark. So then why would God come to him and say, hey, it's all going down, seven days, be ready. Well, here's where, this is what I believe. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher and a man of righteousness. And I believe Noah spent his final week on earth preaching to his community. Preaching that if only they would believe that they could come aboard and be saved. Because God is in the business of giving chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And today is the day we must recognize our need for Jesus, not later, because at some point... The door of that ark closed. Did no, who closed it though? Was it a human? No, the Lord closed that door. Not Noah, not a pulley system. The Bible says that the Lord closed the door of the ark. And so here we are reading about these trumpets. Here's the connection for you wondering, where is this even going? Here it is. Uh, we don't blow those trumpets, but God does. A, a righteous and just and holy God blows these trumpets. 
And he's saying, repent and just come. Come back. Come back. I don't believe this is narrow. I, I, I believe this is simple church orthodoxy, that, that God is just and merciful and loving and righteous. And Jesus, he reconciles us. Jesus, he rescues us. Jesus is evidence of God's mercy. And mercy is what we're talking about today, that God continues to give us chance after chance. Every breath you take is another chance. You are sitting here breathing. You are listening later in the week online right now because you have breath in your lungs and God is saying, I am not far. I am near. Another chance, another chance, another chance. Now go back to Revelation with me. Uh, Revelation 10 describes something else that is also pretty interesting. The, the sixth trumpet, it had blown at this point, and a mighty angel appears and roars like a lion, which is just incredible. I, I think that would be amazing to see. And, and here's the thing. John is about to write down what he's seen as he's been doing, right? John, get this picture in your head. Angel shows up, flaming legs. Okay. Roars like a lion. All right. I'm writing it down. You would too. So John goes to write this down. But an unseen voice from heaven tells him, don't do that. Don't write this down. The unseen voice from heaven then tells John to take this tiny scroll from the hand of that angel and eat it. You can laugh because that's a funny visual. Okay. Over here talking about the judgment of God, the mercy of God. Let's eat a scroll while we're at it. Um, and and here, here's why. You, you can laugh. It's funny. He's told it will be sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. Now, just so you know, God is consistent. This is not the first time God instructed a prophet to eat a scroll or a book, believe it or not. This is uh, also a callback to Ezekiel chapters 2 and 3, where it is sweet in the prophet's mouth. The easiest illustration here, because what in the world, John, okay? The easiest illustration here is how these prophets are instructed to do the same thing because it represents God's judgments on Israel prior into the world now with John, that these judgments are merciful in the beginning. They are sweet in the beginning. They are sweet like honey to those who accept them, but they are bitter in the stomach for those who do not. Uh, moving ahead to Revelation 11. I know, I want to stay there too. I know, I would love to stay in chapter 10 for a couple of weeks, but moving into chapter 11, this is all still taking place before this seventh and final trumpet. And we're entering into a section about the two witnesses. If you have your Bible with you or the Bible app, you will see maybe a heading that says the two witnesses. Now, again, it may get strange, but remember, this is purposefully making mention of many Old Testament symbols and images. It is pointing us to God's work through his prophets in the Old Testament. And again, I believe this is for our encouragement today. So these two witnesses, as John sees them, are proclaiming Jesus, okay? They are calling people to repent, believe the good news, turn to God. These witnesses are not casting judgment against people. They are simply telling them, Jesus loves you. 
repent and turn. You've gone through six trumpets for crying out loud. Like, you know, the two witnesses, I'm sure, are kind of exasperated, but they're there preaching the good news. That is until a beast rises from that bottomless pit, callback, right? And makes war against the two witnesses, and the beast actually kills them, according to Revelation. And those remaining on earth see this, and they rejoice. Because these two prophets had become a torment to them. And their bodies would lie in the street for three and a half days before God would raise them from the dead and call them back to heaven. Look at this, Revelation eleven thirteen. And at the hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were, were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. So there were times in the Old Testament, by the way, when God only left one-tenth of people so, you know, that, he, that he spared. But here he restrains this, this, this full judgment again. And what happens? Those who remain, 90%, those who remain gave glory to God. But now the final woe. For those who follow Jesus, this is an encouragement. Uh, for those outside of the way of Jesus, I mean, this is terrible. Because this shows us the end of the age of man and the coming of the kingdom of God. Revelation eleven fifteen says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so the 24 elders worshipped, and God's temple in heaven was open. We flew through four chapters in like 31 minutes just now. But let me ask you, coming back to that statement, what you look for, you will find. And so whether people believe in God or not, everyone has an opinion on the guy. Whether people believe the Bible or not, everyone has an opinion on it. Everyone has an opinion on morality. And I would say everyone pretty much at some point will have an opinion on the book of Revelation in end times. And so if you want to look at God, the Bible, morality, Revelation, if you want to look at it and say this is an archaic way to live, it's so judgmental. It is just a bunch of rules. I can't make sense of it. You can totally believe that. You can walk away with that. Because what you look for, you will find. If you want to read through these difficult passages and assume the worst in God and his judgments, you can. Or you can choose to see a God who refuses to give up on us. A God who is so desperate to be reunited with you that he restrains his judgment over and over and over and over and over. He restrains his judgment because of his deep love for you. A God that desires you to experience freedom so desperately that he allowed us to, to kill his son. But what you look for, you will find. Because if you want to look for reasons to celebrate God's goodness, I believe there are plenty. If you want to read through Revelation and see his mercy, I see it all over the place. If you want to look at your own life today and question, why would God 
care for me? Why would God love me? There is a reason, because he is love, and he cannot help but love you. I want to invite our worship team back up at this point. Um, I just want us to, to sit with that statement as we wrap up this morning. Uh, what you look for, you will find. I was having a conversation just last night uh, with some new friends of ours. We were talking about these years experiencing COVID and walking through these COVID years and, and just how difficult it's been, right? I mean, the virus really like changed everything. Um, but then it was kind of weaponized, right? And you were on this side or this side and how could you and why would you, you know? I mean, come on, you know what I'm talking about. And it just became so divisive, right? No one could do the right thing because everyone was doing something, right? And so as I'm talking with, with these people, uh, she was just talking about how difficult it was. And I said, yeah, no doubt. Like, I, I, I definitely understand. Um, but you know what's really interesting is that through all this, it has been terrible. It's, it's been very tough. But ironically, I will never forget Halloween 2020 as long as I live. Halloween 2020. As my family and I, like, walked out to go trick-or-treating, we did not know what we were going to encounter because are we going to get yelled at for being out and about? You know, like, like what's, what's going to happen right here and everything? Uh, in our entire community, it seemed like every house was totally lit up and they were all in the porches clamoring to see children walking around. And it was like this, this beautiful thing, just seeing the community just rally together in a time of great division, in a time of, of, of just unrest and all these crazy things going on and, and where everybody had, a, had an opinion and, and you're always wrong and all these things. But all these people worked together to give some sense of normalcy to our kids. And I think the more we look back on our life and the difficult things, I think the more we look back, I think we can find, yeah, we sacrificed a lot, but there's still a lot of sacredness in there. There's a lot of beauty in what I went through. I, I couldn't have seen it then, but my goodness, like now, I am who I am because of this, or, 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 you know, God redeemed that, and now I have a story to share with others and encourage others. But what you look for, you will find. And so if you want to, to look at the world, you want to say it's just a big accident, there is no purpose here. This is all a cosmic accident. You can, you can believe that. But I don't. I just simply believe that there is purpose, there is reason, that we are here for a reason. And I just want to point you to Jesus. I won't have all the answers. I'm not going to know why you went through exactly what you went through back when you were 12. I'm not going to know exactly why we went through the last two years. I'm not going to know all of the imagery in Revelation and what it all represents. I'm not going to claim to do that. But I will claim to point you to the mercy of God. And there is nothing more merciful than what he allowed us to do to his son. That he would allow us to put to death his one son. 
It's a sacrifice. I don't think we can fully understand. But why would he do it? Because he loves. And he loves you. He wants you to experience freedom, not later, now. He wants you to experience love, not later, now. He wants you to be comforted as you, as you cry and more. Now. That's the goodness of God. Would you stand as I pray? And as we go into a time of, of worship, myself and some others will be available. If you need some prayer this morning, we would love to. Or we can come to you. Uh, you can come forward, sure. But God is moving in this place. And if you hear nothing else, hear that he loves you. My goodness, does he love you. Heavenly Father, I pray for us all in this place this morning. That as we stand here, maybe conflicted, as we stand here, maybe not knowing what to make of all of this. Um, God, I pray that your spirit would draw us to you here and now. That we would see your goodness in this. We would see your goodness still. We would see your mercy still. We would see your grace still. We would see your love and, and experience your love. I pray for those who are far from you. I know we are here this morning. I know we feel far. We feel distant from you. I pray we would know that we are one word away from you, and that is Jesus. We welcome your love in this place, to feel your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.